0: on the Holy Spirit, and uh, I, was, am, I am going to continue this morning with a message entitled, Spirit-Led or Self-Led? Spirit-Led or Self-Led? And uh, I feel very much that just out of the blue, I wasn't even trying to prepare a message, wasn't even thinking about having to preach this Sunday And God put an illustration before my mind, uh, very clear, very, very black and white, and uh, he spoke some things to me, and I'm going to share them with you this morning. In fact, it was so out of the blue that the illustration that came to my mind, uh, initially uh, on the surface, you would hear this person from the Bible, hear of this story, And not for one moment think of the angle that the Holy Spirit put on it when he showed it to me. came very much out of the blue. And so I want you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Jonah. Now here, who knows about Jonah? Who was Jonah? How many of you know who Jonah is? This is a famous story. I mean, from when I was a little kid in Sunday school, Jonah was right up there with David and Goliath as some of the fun stories that we would learn in church. And this is a story that God put before me with a very specific angle. And I'm going to break that down for us today. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, it says, The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. How does the word of the Lord come? By the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of God spoke into Jonah's heart. We know him as a prophet in the Bible. He lived around the same time as Isaiah. Now a lot of people don't realize some of the little incidentals that I'm going to be mentioning today in, this, in the introduction to this message. But Jonah and Isaiah were contemporary prophets. They both lived at the same time and were speaking into the life of Israel And Judah. I want you to remember that at this point in history, what was once one nation under David and then King Solomon became divided after King Solomon. And there were the ten tribes of the northern part of the kingdom that took on the name of Israel and it became a separate nation. And in the southern kingdom, you have Judah. The tribe of Levites and the tribe of Judah. In the nation of Israel, there were predominantly one successive king after another who did not serve God. They were rebellious. That's how the split came about. The majority went with a very rebellious man. You know, we, we, we have a nation here. We have a democracy. And as far as earthly type governments or man-made government... It's pretty much the best you can get, but in the Bible, God called his people to a theocracy. He wants to lead each and every one of us. Can I get an agreement? He wants to be the governor of our hearts and of our lives. Amen. And so, we have this situation in history. At the time of Jonah, at the time of Isaiah, the, the kingdom had already divided, the ten tribes of the north, though they were the majority, the majority actually felt, followed a fellow who was quite rebellious and he rebelled against the ways of God. The, the majority is not always right. I'm going to say it again, and I'm not getting political here. Don't make it political. But the majority is not always right. The Bible says that in the last days, the earth will be filled with scoffers. The earth will be filled with people who are cold-hearted. And that the morality of humanity will be on a great decline. The majority is not always right. And so when we trust in a man-made institution like democracy or any human government, there's going to be failures. A democracy is great while the majority of people are pro the word of God and the principles of God. Can I get an agreement? But in our own lives, we must live a life of a theocracy where we let God be the governor of our soul and we allow his Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. I've said it many times and will always say it, I I trust that I will always say this, and that is that everything in our lives must be built around the Word of God. The Word of God is our foundation. Some choose to believe that it's not inerrant, and therefore they choose and pick what they want to believe. I believe that if God can put the earth on its exact proper axis, So that the gravitational pull is perfect, God also has the ability to make sure that His Word is written from generation to generation without mistake. Can I get an agreement? I guess it comes back to how big of a picture do you really have of God? And I believe that God is big enough and capable enough to take care of His own and to take care of His Word. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. And so we don't conform to this world. We conform to the word of God. But here, ten tribes had split. They had unwittingly followed a man who had uh, anarchy and division and ungodliness in his heart. And it showed up through his, gen- his descendants. And then even as other kings came to the fore, the ten tribes of Israel Predominantly served foreign gods and they were sinful. In Judah, not all the kings were good, but some of them were. And Israel became captive to the Assyrian Empire and it fell somewhere around 722. Samaria, the capital of Israel, was taken captive by the Assyrians. And that whole conglomeration of the ten tribes became totally non-existent. Judah continued. It continued even though it was the lesser part of the original kingdom. It continued. In fact, before Israel fell... Judah had outgrown the size of the other 10 tribes, was far more prosperous and far more powerful, and it became the dominant of the split nation. But even Judah had some kings who didn't serve God with their whole heart. And eventually, even Judah fell, and they fell to the Babylonians. So here's Jonah And uh, God brings a word to Jonah, and God tells him he wants him to go to the city of Nineveh. I'm going to break this down. So we're going to read Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Notice even God called it great. There's a reason for it. It was a tremendous city. It was a... Phenomenally large city and an extremely powerful city. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarsus. He went down to Joppa where he found the ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare he went abroad and sailed for Tarsus to flee from the Lord. So here's Jonah, a prophet, a man of God, who often carried out God's expressed will. But right from the get-go, starting with verse 1 to verse 3, we see that you can be led by the Spirit and sometimes disobey the Spirit. My sermon title this morning, again, is Spirit-Led or self-led. Sometimes I come up with great ideas. Sometimes I have great notions. And sometimes they absolutely stink. Any Amen. Now, I'm going to ask you how many of you can agree with me but before you respond, how many of you can agree with me that we're all like that? <laughs> I don't want to walk away with an inferiority complex thinking everyone's saying, Yeah, Pastor, your ideas stink. Never. We know enough about ourselves to know that at times we come up with great ideas, but at times we come up with things that are anything less than stellar. Okay? Here's Jonah, a man of God. Does this apply only to men or women? In the ministry, no, it applies to all of us. If we're honest here today, every one of us knows that at times we listen to the pull of the Holy Spirit and sometimes we don't. And the times that we listen to the pull of the Holy Spirit, it's a great thing. Good things happen. And when we listen to a different pull, it's not a great thing. And some not so good things happen. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. So we, and I always say this, this is one of the things I love about the word of God. Even though this is God's story, he tells the truth. He has heroes in this book, but he tells the truth about them. God is truth. And so his word is always truth. And while he forgives our sin, He allows us to see true humanity because we learn lessons from other people's mistakes. Can I get an agreement? I remember when I was a kid in high school and I was always wearing my Jesus loves you t-shirts to school, uh, both in Australia and then when we came back here to, I was living in New York, and there was a poster at the time and it had a proverb and it was Translated into very modern English. It was from the book of Proverbs, and it says, <clears throat> A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. How many of you think it's good to learn from other people's mistakes? But a foolish man learns only from his own mistakes. Okay? We want to learn from the mistakes of others, and that's why the word of God is given to us, it speaks truth. It speaks principles, no, no less valid or important than the very principle of gravity. Gravity is an important principle. You don't want to step off the third floor of a, the top of a building expecting to be able to walk on thin air. Gravity is a very important principle. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the word of God is full of principles. And because it's full of principles, it has guidelines, it has uh, rules and understandings so that we could live successfully even in a world that is full of turmoil. I believe that God's word is a light and it's meant to be a light unto our feet, just like David penned in the Psalms many years ago. How many of you ever found the word of God has been a light before your feet and it's shown you what to do and where to go and what to say and how to act? Amen. Absolutely. And the more we are spirit led as opposed to self led, the more successful we will navigate around potential problems. Well, here's Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Do you know that if Jonah went to Nineveh, he had a 500-mile journey to the east, but instead he went 2,500 miles to the west to get away from God. Or at least to get away from what God wanted to do. Five times the distance he went in error. And uh, I I don't want to say that this is a pattern, but when I miss God or deliberately don't obey God, I end up five times further away from God's perfect will for my life. I think we can all agree that the more we submit to the Holy Spirit and we're sensitive to what the Word of God says and what the Spirit of God says, we are always in a better situation. Can I get an agreement? The question is, why was a man... Uh, who was a prophet and he was used to hearing from God and used to obeying God. And I say that because there's no way he would have ever been given the recognition of a prophet unless he was one who successfully and historically spoke the word of God and followed through on the will of God. He had met that criteria and so the Bible gives him the title of prophet. He was a contemporary, as I said, to Isaiah. But in this one instance, this major instance in his life that's recorded, that Jonah's mentioned and some of the prophecies that he spoke are mentioned in, in the book of 2 Kings. But this is one major point in Jonah's life and God pens it out so it would be a lesson to us. So the question is, why did Jonah want to run five times the distance in the opposite direction? Well, the answer to that lies in the city of Nineveh and even more so in the empire of Assyria. The Assyrian empire ruled from around 900 BC to 612 BC when it finally fell and the Babylonians overtook it. They were a very, very vicious people. They were like land parrots, pirates, and so they would ransack villages and they would plunder and do everything that pirates are notorious for. You see, historically, and I love what I'm about to share with you in a moment, I'm going to read some quotes that were found in archaeology in the land of, of Assyria and in the area of Nineveh. Items... Uh, Articles that were carved in stone, records of the kings, and some of the things that history has discovered is pretty horrific. But what is interesting about this is that the modern world's constantly trying to disprove the word of God, and everyone in archaeology had to admit that the same way the Bible called Assyria a very cruel and a very wicked nation, historically the atrocities that they accomplished bear up to the uh, namesake it bore in the Bible. And so for those of you that are a little bit delicate or squeamish, you might want to uh, close your ears just a little bit, but I'm going to read some of the sayings. This is will give you a highlight or an, uh, a behind-the-scenes understanding of maybe what was going on in the human heart of Jonah and why, even though he was so used to hearing from the Spirit of God, maybe this is what influenced him to rebel. One of the records found is this here. It says, I flayed as many nobles as had rebelled against me, and I draped their skins over the pile of bodies. And some of them I spread out within the pile, and some of the skins I erected on stakes upon the pile, I flayed many right through my land and draped their skins over the walls of my city. Historically, we know that... um, to intimidate invaders at times, they would take their enemy and skin them and pin them to the wall. And God saw this, and it, 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 it bothered God's heart tremendously, and rightly so. God's a God of judge, justice, and he wants us to live in a righteous way, loving and forgiving. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so Jonah didn't want to go and preach to them because Jonah in his heart knew that they would repent. He understood the character of God enough to know that if he went and preached to them to repent, God was probably getting ready to forgive them. And Jonah didn't have a heart to see them forgiven. In fact, it goes on in another historical writing that was found. It says, in strife and conflict, I besieged and conquered the city. I felled 3,000 of their fighting men. I captured many troops. I cut off some of their arms, their hands, their noses, their ears, and extremities. These were a very cruel, vile people. I gouged out the eyes of many troops. I made one pile of, of the living and another of just heads. Goes on, I hung their heads on trees around the city. I think we could all agree that this would probably surpass anything you see on Halloween. Okay, and this was a normal lifestyle for these people. Now, I want to say that Jonah ended up going to Nineveh. The Bible says that while he was escaping. He came into a great storm, and he knew through conviction in his heart that the reason why they were heading into a storm, and the ship was about to be lost, and all these innocent lives on the ship were about to be lost, Jonah knew by the conviction of the Spirit of God that God was trying to get his attention, and this was because of his disobedience. And so Jonah offered to have himself thrown into the sea. And when you read the story, that's exactly what happened. And the Bible says God prepared a great big fish to swallow him up. Now I know a lot of people will scoff at that, and yet Jesus referred to that very story, and Jesus reiterated the fact that the same way Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights, so would the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. And so Jesus, God in the flesh, confirmed the veracity of that story and so if we're going to be serious bible believing christians this is an area where we have to say amen the word of god says it i believe it and that settles it can i get an agreement absolutely now jonah goes to that city eventually but he ran away and eventually that city repented and when they repented jonah got upset Instead of being happy that sinners came to the Lord, Jonah threw a hissy fit. You all know what a hissy fit is? You say that here in America? Okay, he got upset. He was angry. He didn't like it. You know, in the flesh, my opinion doesn't always agree with God's opinion. And in the flesh, my plans don't always agree with the bigger picture that God knows and that God is trying to work out. Amen? Amen? And so Jonah got upset that they repented. And he said, God, I knew you were going to do this. That's why Jonah jumped ship in one sense. He was on the ship of listening to the voice of God's spirit. And he started to listen to his own opinions based on the facts and the information and the environment that he was mentally and emotionally filled with. This preaches to all of us. We could be motivated by many things. But the one thing we need to be motivated by all the time is the word of God and the spirit of God. And we all have to be honest enough to know that our way isn't always the right way. But the best way is always God's way. Can I get an agreement on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I will say this here, just before I continue the final remarks of my message, although Nineveh repented and they escaped imminent judgment, within a short period of less than 50 years, they continued their vile ways and ultimately God raised up another prophet named Nahum. And Nahum prophesied Uh, Nineveh's destruction and historically we find that the very thing that Nahum said, Nahum said God will destroy it with a flood. Well that might not sound like a huge deal but what you have to understand is that the city of Nineveh which later became the capital of Assyria under King Sennacherib it became the capital it was a city with walls 100 feet high it was wide enough that they literally could race three chariots around the top of the city walls. On top of that, it was so well fortified that what they did was they built a moat around the city, but this wasn't like any ordinary moat. This moat was 150 feet wide all around the city, and by the way, if that doesn't sound impressive, this city was so big, it was three days' journey to go around the whole of the city. It was 150 feet wide and the moat was 60 feet deep. This was a city that was impenetrable, okay? And Nahum prophesied that with a flood God would demolish the walls. And when the Babylonians overthrew Nineveh, it was because... The moat got flooded by the river and the walls started to decay and the walls caved in and the Babylonian army came in exactly as Nahum had prophesied probably 70 years earlier. The word of God is very specific and very, very accurate. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. But nonetheless, here we have an honest picture of how things work in humanity and in humanity's interaction with heaven. Even a great man of God who was, he had reached the accreditation of being recognized as a prophet in the land, even had moments where he didn't, he heard the voice of the Spirit and he didn't obey. Look, I thank God that The word of God doesn't bring condemnation to us. I thank God that in the word we see forgiveness and we see grace. And when we mess up, if we truly take accountability and recognize and stop trying to share the blame with everybody else. Do you know when we stand before God, he's not going to take you and everybody else that you think is guilty. Before his judgment seat, we go one person at a time. And if we're saved, you and I, we don't go to the judgment seat. We go to the reward seat. Amen? Absolutely. But in in nature, we share the blame. The worst thing we could do as human beings is to refuse to take accountability when we're wrong. I've lived long enough to know I've been wrong plenty times. And we've all been wrong plenty times. And the most noble thing we can do as humans is to take accountability. Don't make excuses. Don't pass the buck. Don't push the blame somewhere else. When we do that, we forfeit the opportunity to grow. Accountability will bring the power of God to change us. Hello? Hello? Repentance is taking accountability. And so, you know, when we push the blame away and we make excuses, we're trying to justify ourselves. Self-justification will never win us a place in God's eyes, but humble acknowledgement of a mistake will bring the righteousness of God and will be exalted. Oh, come on, that deserved a better amen than that. Absolutely. These are life principles. They're life principles. And this is true in your marriage between a husband and a wife. Don't ever be so arrogant or proud that you can't acknowledge, you know what, I made a mistake and I'm sorry. And if we just learn the heart behind those words, so many marriages, so many friendships, so many business deals would be so different. Than what we experience in this current age. Can I get an agreement to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the truth. Amen. Praise God. In fact you know when Nahum did prophesy over Nineveh. In uh, Nahum chapter 3 verse 1 and 19. I'm only going to read those two verses. This is what, Nineveh, uh, this is what Nahum says. By the Spirit of God, woe to that city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Verse 19, he concludes and says, Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you will clap their hands at your fall for who has not felt your endless cruelty? You know, I think immediately of a verse where the word of God says, what does God desire of you or require of you? That you live humbly and righteously and that you're full of mercy. Amen. Having said all that and having drawn a picture of here's a man of God, he's a prophet, and yet he hears the spirit of God and he disobeys. How is this relevant to us, and how is this relevant to this series on the Holy Spirit? In 1 Corinthians, and before I read that, I have a phrase, and I don't know if you guys can put it up on the screen. God promised the Spirit-filled life so we can live a Spirit-led life. I'm going to say it again because I think that's very, very important. God promised the Spirit-filled life so that we can live the Spirit-led life. Whatever your view is on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, the truth of the matter is that whether you believe it's for today or not and we truly do believe it is and have seen the manifestation of the gifts of the spirit and we welcome them but the reality is that the whole reason for this experience and being filled with the holy spirit is so that it's not so that we can hold up little badges of honor i have this gift and i have that gift but so that we can live a life that is Beyond being compliant to the Spirit, it is a life that is led and influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. Can I get agreement? God promised the Spirit-filled life so that we can live the Spirit-led life. Whether it's in your marriage, in your relationship with your sons and your daughters, whether it's in business, God wants a church that is being led by his spirit because the moment we're led by our flesh, we're in trouble. And if the church, the people, if we, the church, are led by our flesh, the nation around us will also suffer because we're their greatest hope. And the only reason why we're their greatest hope is because Christ in us is the hope of great glory. When the church is truly living a spirit-filled life, when it's acting out of the Spirit of God and not out of deceit, not out of selfish ambition, not out of ego, not out of resentment or a grudge or out of prejudice, when the church is living a Spirit-filled life, the world sees and the world is affected by the Spirit of God in His church. Come on, give the Lord a praise offer. Absolutely. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29, the Apostle Paul, this chapter, he's talking about how to administer the gifts in the church, and the mere fact that he has to teach it is because the flesh can get in the way, and at times we can do things that are good for us but not beneficial for everybody else at the same time. And I'm going to hone in on just one verse here in particular. The Apostle Paul says in verse 29 of chapter 14, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Why is that? Because we can be spirit-led one moment and we could be selfishly, Influenced another. We can hear from the Spirit of God just like Jonah and then sometimes act out of our own motivations, act out of our own fears, act out of our own prejudice, act out of our own judgment. I've been doing this series and God put it on my heart a couple of months ago to do this series. And very, very consciously in my heart, I am aware of God's desire to raise up his His church, his people, his sons and daughters to be a better image of what the church of Jesus Christ can be. And that goes for your pastor as well. You see, the more we are spirit-led, the more America will become great again. And the more... The church around the world is led by God's Holy Spirit. Revival will literally rain down on the four corners of the earth. What the world needs, in the 60s, they coined the phrase, what the world needs is love. And what the world really does need is for the love of God to be showing through every born-again Christian. Amen. And I don't always exude love. I mean, do you see me preaching here and people say, man, you get so smiley. Sometimes, you know, your eyes just become little, they become small. I guess uh, now I'm trying to be so politically correct so that no one gets offended. But I look like I might even be Asian, all right? My cheeks are over swollen and I start to smile. I might smile all the time, but love isn't in my heart all the time. I am sometimes pushed by attitudes. I am sometimes provoked. I am sometimes irked. And I realize that my flesh can react at any given moment, and so I have to constantly keep myself under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God because there's a lot of unholy spirits around the place. Come on, am I preaching to me? Yes, am I preaching to you? Yes, amen, amen. And Paul says, let two or three prophets speak and everything should be weighed carefully. And that word weighed is from the Greek and uh, the Greek word diakreno, diakreno. And uh, whenever I go to use these uh, uh, Greek words, I think of the fact that got Gina over there, and she's probably saying, oh, he's pronouncing that all wrong. (laughs) It's like me trying to speak Spanish. You ever watch a a very, very non-Latino person trying to speak Spanish, and we just totally mess up the accents and get it all wrong? All right, so anyway... Uh, In the Greek, it means to distinguish, to judge, as in to test, to, to look at it and check it out. Isn't it interesting that though the spirit of prophecy from the Holy Spirit can come, the question isn't the Holy Spirit, the question is the vehicle. Can I get an amen, Pastor Jan, because it's very quiet out here. The Holy Spirit is never wrong, but sometimes we could put our own taint on things. You notice it's a spirit-led life, not a spirit-controlled life. God will never turn us into a robot. Jonah wasn't a robot. God doesn't want you to be a robot. If you obey as a robot and he just possesses you, there's no credit to your name. But God takes human entities and human vessels who have the ability to disagree and disobey, and when we agree with the Spirit of God, there is great reward for us personally and great reward for the thing that he told us to do. Amen. And so the apostle says, way prophecy. When there's prophecy, test it. How do we test it? Does it line up with the word of God? Does it contradict the word of God? Is it self-serving and self-seeking? Or does it come to serve and to bless? You see, there are many ways to live our lives, but the best way is to live our life led by the spirit of God. And so even the gifts are not without testing. Uh, The gift isn't given to make us a superstar. The gift is given to make us a servant. Sometimes in our American culture, and please, I am every bit American. I may have spent 29 years in Australia. I love this country. But I bleed the kingdom of God. I am kingdom orientated long before I'm American or Italian, okay? And I want to live for the kingdom and I want to be true to the kingdom, okay? And uh, so what we see here is in our culture in America, we love to have our heroes. And now I'm not against heroes. We love to have our stars. We love to have our celebrities. And In the church, there is a great place for us to learn about honor. But sometimes we misinterpret honor and we turn personalities in the church into superstars. And then we want to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit because the motive in our heart is so that we'll be seen. When God uses a person with a gift, the emphasis isn't on the person with the gift. The emphasis is on the person who's going to be the recipient, the benefit of that word. God's telling that person how much He loves them, and so the emphasis is on 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 them. But sometimes in the church, we exercise the gifts so that people see us and. They think more highly of us, and it becomes our means of gaining uh, self-approval, okay? But that is a very fleshly reaction. And if I'm going to preach to you on the Holy Spirit and the functions of the Holy Spirit, while I want everyone to move in the gifts of the Spirit, we want to be full of His Holy Spirit And not full of self-seeking, self-awareness, or self-promotion. We want to do everything to edify the king and the citizens of his kingdom. Go on, give the Lord a clap. Absolutely. Now, I said that the gifts aren't given to make us a superstar, but to make us a servant. Now, let me just make something very clear. We're much more than servants, we're sons. We're co-heirs with Christ. But for a moment I want you to understand I used the word servant and I battled about using the word servant because we're much more than servant. We are co-heirs with Christ. But in this instance, I used it to put the emphasis and to show that the person who's exercising the gift, it's not about you, it's about the person that God's trying to reach. The emphasis is on them because God so loves them, he wants to bring a healing. God so loved them, he brings a word of knowledge. God so loves them that he brings a prophetic word to exhort them. And isn't it funny how the human nature has a way of making it about us? And so I use the word servant because when we operate in the gifts, we're just a vehicle. Hello? Come on, that was good preaching. Somebody say, that was good preaching. Amen, Pastor Rob. All right. So Paul says, weigh up every prophecy. Test it. Check it out. You see, in this church, while I'm the senior pastor, I pioneered this church. This is actually the, fourth, uh, the fifth church that we've pioneered from the ground up. Four in Australia. We were overseeing 12 churches in Australia. I'm going to ask Pastor Carlos. Is he back there? He's helping in the kitchen. All right, Pastor Tom, would you make your way down the front Pastor Steve, make your way down the front. Pastor Jan, make your way down the front. I want you to understand something. The kingdom of God has got to operate very differently than our worldly culture. In the world, it's all about who's the head. I've been a pastor for well over 40 years. I've preached in many nations around the world. Pastor Amy's in the other A section of the building running the children's ministry. And obviously Pastor Carlos has helped preparing the meals for this afternoon. Pastor Steve is not on staff here. But every Tuesday while he is a pastor, he's not on staff. He's not paid. He volunteers. Everything he does, he volunteers. Thank God for that. Amen. Pastor Jan, Pastor Tom, Pastor Carlos, and Pastor Amy meet with me. I meet with them every week, every Tuesday. I'm going to ask you a question before this congregation. Do I just do whatever I want, or do I submit ideas to you guys and ask you for honest feedback and advice? Each one of us. Constantly or occasionally? You see, we have to understand that we are a body. And we work together. Now, do we function as a democracy? Do we take a vote and then the the majority wins? No. We've never done that. But they speak to me, has the opinions and the attitude of the team ever changed my direction? Yes. Right. The Bible says in the multitude of counsel." There is wisdom. And though I pioneered this church and many others and taught in Bible colleges in England, in Australia, in the Solomons, have my own Bible college here, I, I understand the principle of God is it doesn't matter where you are in leadership, we submit one to another. Amen. Why? Because in submitting... We keep the Holy Spirit of God around us. The flesh is very much about self-promotion. Amen? And so it's very important. so this church is governed by a team of pastors, Pastor Amy, Pastor Carlos, Pastor Steve, Pastor Jan, Pastor uh, uh, (laughs) Tom, sorry. And then we have others that we see as elders and whatnot that we also consult. So much more than when someone learns how to step into a gift, that doesn't give them instant recognition and a permanent position. When you start to operate in the gifts, understand we could be influenced by the Holy Spirit one moment, and if we're honest, we could be influenced by a wrong spirit the next moment. Amen. Would you give these guys a big hand? Thank you. Peter and the disciples were going door to door, healing the sick, casting out devils. And somewhere into that three-year ministry period, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to die. And Peter says, I forbid it. And he pulls his sword out. He says, we're going to fight. You're not dying. And Jesus looks at him and says, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. One moment we could be influenced by the spirit, but we also have the potential to be influenced by a wrong spirit. And because prophecy can be such a powerful thing, it can also be used in an unwise and unsavory way. And so Paul specifically teaches in the church, let two or three prophesy and let the others weigh it. You know what that means? Secret prophecy can easily become dangerous prophecy. I'm going to say it again. Secret prophecy. We have a little agreement. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to prophesy over you. Uh, but you don't need to share this with anyone or test it. No. No. If we're going to be spirit-led, then we are spirit-submissive, and we submit one to another. Amen? Absolutely. You know, the Spirit of God will speak truth, but we want to make sure we don't add our own flavor or our own color to the truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we encourage people to move in the gifts of the Spirit, but we also encourage the fact that there is an open book, open administration of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Why? Because everything needs to be tested and judged so that it stays on track. The same way I allow myself to be spoken to, By the rest of the team, it doesn't make me less, any less the senior pastor. It doesn't take away from the calling of God on my life. It doesn't devalue me. There is strength. There is security. There is protection when we function as a body and not as a lone ranger. Amen. Absolutely. 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 And so lastly, I'm going to conclude with this scripture in 2 Thessalonians. I thought it was a cool scripture, and it really pulls everything together. By the way, I have a phrase. Uh, If you would put this phrase on the screen for a moment. The anointing can only take you as far as you have allowed your character to be built. The anointing can only take you as far as you have allowed your character to be built. That's why the pursuit of the gifts of the Spirit instead of the pursuit of the Holy Spirit himself will leave a person at the end of a short stake. When we pursue the Holy Spirit, we pursue who He is and everything He is, and therefore we also pursue the fruit of His character. If you live a life only filled with the fruit of the Spirit of God, you'll live a very noble and ethical life. But if you live a life only filled with the gifts of the Spirit and without the fruit of the Spirit, you could end up living a very unknowable life. The anointing will only take you as far as you allow your character to grow in the Spirit of God. And the more we let the fruit of the Spirit be manifest in our lives, the more we give credence and strength and stability to the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Absolutely. So lastly, I conclude with this scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19-22. to 22. And Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. Now, there are many who want to limit the moving of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, don't quench it. Don't put water on the fire of God. Don't try to stop it. Don't try to put God into a shoebox. Don't make God conform to your pattern, conform to his. Don't quench the Spirit. But look at verse 20. Don't treat prophecy with contempt. Now, why would Paul even say that? There's always the human element where someone will prophesy, but there's a little bit of flesh. And so Paul says, but test them all. Test them. As much as we want to be spirit-filled so we can be spirit-led we need to first test ourselves and check our own heart. And God, am I doing this so that people see me and I get a big name? Or am I doing this so that that person that your heart is breaking for will hear a word and they won't even notice the vessel. They'll notice the one who sent the message. Amen. So Paul says, don't quench the spirit, but by the same token, guys, don't treat prophecy with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to that which is good and reject those things that aren't so good. Praise God. And so as we move forward in a life that is gonna be spirit-filled and spirit-led, we wanna make sure that we apply the test of God's word to our motives, to our attitudes, to our disposition, so that when we minister, whatever God is telling us to share with another person, it's not coming out of our personal benefit, but it's coming out of the overall heart of God. You know, the best way that any of the gifts can operate is when we're so filled with a love and a concern for the other person. I was sharing this Saturday morning in the prayer meeting. There are two things you'll notice in in the Gospels. Number one, when Jesus healed people, often it says he was moved with compassion. He didn't use the gift of healing to prove he was the Messiah. He didn't use the gift of healing to prove who he is. He was moved with compassion. He healed because he saw the brokenness of humanity and he cared about where people were at. He came to heal, to seek, and to deliver. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so the motivation of our lives in pursuing a spirit-filled life is not so that I stand out amongst the crowd, but the idea of living a spirit-filled life is so that I stay on track and I become a vessel so that God can tell many other people how much he loves them and how important they are to him. The gifts of the spirit are not self-serving, They are others serving. And I thank God that He has filled His church with many, many gifts. Can I get an agreement? Come on, stand with me. Paul teaches His church be eager, be eager to move. And to seek the gifts of the Spirit, but never at the exception of seeking Him, the Holy Spirit of God. It's the character of God that preserves and keeps safe and genuine the gifts of the Spirit. It's the character, the fruit of the Spirit that preserves and protects And keep safe the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. Absolutely. Praise God. God is good. All the time. I want everyone to repeat after me. I am the beloved of the Lord. He sees me. He gets me. And he loves me. And he has raised me up. And seated me with his son in heavenly places. Not so that I have a tourist vantage view. He seated me in the heavens to rule, to act on behalf of his son. I am a co-heir with Jesus Christ born again, washed in the blood and I hear from the Holy Spirit now I'm going to pray, Father I thank you for what you're doing in our lives and I thank you that you are cleaning up your church from the top down, you're preparing your church for a great revival you're filling us with understanding and you're bringing balance to your church. Father, our desire is to bring glory to your name so that people will see your miracles and see how wonderful you are. That we will be led not by our flesh or our prejudice or selfish motivation, but that we will be led by the unadulterated love, That comes from your heart. We want to be spirit led. Because self led. Will always stink. Holy Spirit we welcome you more and more. To speak into our lives. And help us. To follow. Because we can't be led. If we can't follow. Help us to follow in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart or if you did years ago, but you know you've walked away from the Lord, there's no mistake that you're here today. God is always looking to have an opportunity, a moment where He can touch our lives and open us up again to relationship with him and just for a moment if every eye would close and I want to speak to those persons who know that they need to invite Jesus in their heart if that's you if something's stirring inside of you or you've been backslidden and you want to make a fresh commitment to Christ while every eye is closed Come on, raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Third hand, fourth hand, fifth hand, sixth hand. You can put your hands down. Seventh hand, God bless you. You see, church, I've I've just preached a message to the body of Christ. But when the Spirit of God is speaking, it'll even talk to those who need to make relationship right with God. This is evidence that the Holy Spirit is here. In a small group like this, six, seven people just raised their hands to accept Christ or make a fresh commitment of Christ. That is the most fantastic thing, isn't it? Yes, Would you do something? Give a round of applause to those who have responded right now. Amen. That's a good decision. It's the best decision. I'm going to ask you to everyone pray with me, but those who raise your hand especially, repeat these words with me. I want everyone to repeat them. But those of you who raised your hand, this is you and God right now. Dear Father, thank you. Thank you for loving me. I've made plenty of mistakes. I've sinned. I've messed up. But Jesus Christ, I know you love me. And you died for me. And today, I submit to you. Jesus Christ, come into my heart. Live inside of me. Influence me. And lead me. And guide me. Forgive me of all of my sins. I accept you as God. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And today, I believe, I choose to believe that you are writing my name in the book of life. And I thank you, Father, that today, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And today, I now have relationship with you. Thank you, Father, for not condemning me, but loving me. Amen. Amen. That's seven hands that went up. And I want you to give all the glory to God. Come on. Absolutely. Give all the glory to God. Those of you who have raised your hand, if you would like to, if you feel comfortable, please come see me up the front. If the members of the church would maybe hold back from trying to grab pastor, uh, come and see me. Pastor Tom's going to join me out the front. I'd love to pray with you for a moment, give you a, a word of advice. But I think this is awesome. God is moving. God is moving. When would you think you preach on the gifts of the Spirit and people are getting saved? Asking Christ in their heart or making a fresh commitment. Amen. God is good. Now, as we disband, don't forget, we're raising money uh, to send these gift boxes to third world countries. That's why we're selling pasta. None of that money is going to the church. It's all for missions. And I believe in a week or two, we're going to be stuffing all these boxes with the gifts that have been collected. So go outside, into the foyer. If you haven't already ordered, we have a few limited extra meals. Purchase a meal. It'll benefit some kid in a third world country. God bless you, church. I'm looking forward to seeing you again next Sunday. Come on. God bless you. Have a great day. Turn around and someone. Give them a high.